GLers, today on the podcast, we're going to discuss the shameful behavior of Diane Feinstein, who is uh, bringing uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh a low blow at this late hour in his judicial appointment. She should be ashamed of herself. We also discover that uh, we have it so good in this country that students at the University of Wisconsin in Madison have managed to uh, discover that the ice cream served on campus is not inclusive enough because it contains a, a, a gelatin material that would deprive certain uh, ethnic groups or religious uh, groups from uh, enjoying it because that would violate their dietary symptoms. We also lose the VW Beetle, and uh, we reminisce about a B-52 bomber that crashed into a farm field and farmhouse in Inver what is now Invergrove Heights in 1958. We also want to take a moment and give a big thanks to our supporting partner, Fratelloni's Ace Hardware, a family-owned company that takes pride in customer service. So please support this partner of the GL Podcast. That's my Ace Hardware. I uh, I frequent the one on uh, Grand and Dale in St. Paul, but they're all over the Twin Cities. It's the best hardware store around. Fratelloni's Ace Hardware. And now, from the mayor's office above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake... It's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production, Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your Flashlight King, Fireworks Commissioner, and Keeper of Common Sense, your Mayor, Joe Souchere. Commencing Garage Logic segment number five. You think it bothers the garrison to have to introduce us? Uh, they paid him enough. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he'll, he just reads the script and then hops out of the studio. On September 16th, 1958. What's today, the 14th? Yes. That'll be this Sunday. 60 years ago this Sunday. Uh, a B-52 bomber on a flight originating in Limestone, Maine, crashed into Lauren Call's farm in what is now Invergrove Heights. Hmm. I did not know this. No idea. But it, but it fascinates me. Uh, Lauren Call's memories of September 16, 1958 remain frightening, even 60 years later. But in that moment, the then 15-year-old didn't have enough time to be afraid. One minute, he was helping his dad in the yard of their farmhouse in what is now Invergrove Heights. And in the next, he'd been engulfed by a fireball as the farm went up in flames around him. A B-52 bomber on a flight originating in Limestone, Maine, crashed into the Calls Farm, killing seven of the eight crew members aboard and setting the surrounding area ablaze. 8.17 uh, p.m., remembers Call, now 75. I can still recall the exact time. Uh, where we lived was sort of the flyway into what was then Wold Chamberlain Field. Okay. Now better known, of course, as Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. I was out in the yard with my dad, and I could hear the jet getting louder and louder. All of a sudden, the yard light went out, and I heard a boom. He said, I remember my dad telling me to get to the house. I turned around and tried to run towards it. It was a calm night with no breeze, and we had an old box elder tree in the yard. I caught a glimpse of it. Then I saw this fireball coming straight at me. It knocked me right off my feet. Wow. Miraculously, though there were injuries, all eight members of the Call family residing on the farm, located south of Highway 218 and east of Highway 55 in what was then Inver Township. Okay, help me here. 
All right. I, I'm. Does Highway 218 still exist? Sure. I, I didn't know that. I know 50. I know where 55 is, of course. Oh, 218 runs down through Austin. Well, I'm just trying to picture exactly what might be there now. Give me, give me it again. Give uh, that to me. Their again. farm was located south of Highway 218. Yeah. And east of Highway 55. East of 55, south of 218. In what was then Invert Township. Now we know it as Inver Grove Heights. Hamel. Pardon? Uh, the Hamel area is where I'm Hamel? being told this is. Hmm. No, that can't No, be. that can't be. Hamel's, no. Hamel's west. Well, 218. Oh, boy. We're gonna no, never mind. Happen. Don't worry about we're it. We're going to rain man it. Don't worry about it. My dad suffered the worst burns call, said he was in the hospital for six weeks. I was in the hospital for three. My grandfather, who was 81, was probably hurt third worst. He was in the hospital for about a week. My mom and my four sisters had some cuts and burns, but they were okay. Call's mother, Anna, his sisters, and his grandfather were all inside the house at the time of the crash. <clears throat> I was sitting by a window. Then I heard a jet, Anna called, uh, told KSTP afterward. Then I saw glass start to fall and plaster. So I told the rest of the kids to get down on the floor. Then some more came in. So I went out of the house. I got out the door and the rest followed me. We got outside and everything was on fire. Man, alive. You're sitting in your farmhouse and a B-52 bomber lands in your yard. Well, it unfortunately didn't land in the yard. It crashed into the yard. It was the height of the Cold War, and Call said the flight was making navigational runs over several cities, including the Twin Cities, getting scored on radar. The lone survivor, co-pilot Captain Jack D. Kraft, parachuted to safety. Strangely, the crash occurred just one day before a part from another military jet fell from the sky to hit a child in Minneapolis. Mm. I can't recall the events which led up to the accident or just what happened, Kraft told the Minneapolis Tribune days later. I was in the co-pilot's position, copying down information, then suddenly I was suspended in the air in a parachute. Call said his father went on to live until two months shy of his 90th birthday. His mom died at the age of 102 in 2015. All four of his sisters are still alive today. Wow. I feel fortunate. He said I was only 15 at the time, but looking back on it, we were extremely lucky. Had that barn not been full of hay, none of us would probably be here to tell the tale. Uh, that's really what saved us. I don't, I'm not following that. Had that barn not been full of hay, wouldn't you think it would, being full of hay, it would have been more of a right. fuel for the fire? Uh, Maybe not the initial boom, but yeah, it would have been a constant. Rook, uh, you're going to have to help me here because 218 starts in Oatana. Then she runs all the way through Austin, down through Iowa. At no point does 218 intersect with 55. Okay, but you got to remember here, I, I'm talking about a story uh, from the KSTP television archives that was done in 1958, oh. and what was then 218 might be a completely different 218 today. Good point. Here's what my guess is. If, if 55 and if Concord Boulevard was initially part of Highway 218... Well, that, you, don't, you don't know that. But, but, I, but I can see where they uh, intersect in Invergrove Heights. Mm -hmm. So I'll try to verify that. You know who would know that and know exactly where this might have occurred because Ooh. he's a font of history? Oh, the mayor of South St. Paul, Jimmy Francis. He I'll is, send him a text. He, he is, a, uh, he is a, an encyclopedia of Invergrove Heights material. I will, I will do that. Yeah. Probably a shopping center there now or something. Mm -hmm. It's not like they memorialized it. No. <laughs> no. All right, segment with Patrick coming up today at some point, and uh, much more to follow here.
Knuckleheads ever own a Volkswagen Beetle? Never. No. Nope. Well, you should have. I think they were they were kind of fun. I would have liked to have had the uh, convertible one. Uh, VW is ending production of the Beetle. That'll be no. the second time. Be the second time they've ended production. They're not what they used to be. Do you think? No. That's ending an eighty-year global run for a car that introduced Americans to the German brand. Uh, the Volkswagen itself still does pretty good, though, doesn't it? Oh yeah. That's what I, you see them all over the place. The last plant making the Beetle is in Mexico. The latest generation of the Beetle debuted in 2011, but its roots go back to 1938 as VW's first vehicle. It is one of the longest lived and best selling vehicles of all time, with 22.7 million sold worldwide. 22.7 yeah. million, okay. I have a theory. Uh, we had one. Uh, my dad bought a Beetle from Schmelz Brothers, okay, which still exists. Yes, and and a lot of his buddies did. And my theory is, they did it as a lark. They did it because it was they, none of them needed to do it for uh, economic principles. Okay, they did it because they thought it was novel. That's always been my theory, anyway. It was a neat thing to. To try out. And it was a 1960, so it was it was one of the earliest ones imported to this country. I'm sure they came here in, what, maybe the late 50s. But he had a 1960. And I swear he did it because he thought it was, uh, he was giving people the needle. Mm. It wasn't overly expensive. And, no. You know, it's a pretty primitive vehicle, was it not? Well, so primitive that it was a really bad car for Minnesota in the beginning because the heaters were problematic. They were gas heaters and, uh, oh. you know. Even at that young age, I was terrified the thing would explode. It was like you hauling me around when you had that gas canister Ooh. in the back of your propane <laughs> yes. tank. Yes. I, uh, I remember what it was a, a movie about a Volkswagen. Herbie? Matt. <laughs> Matt. Car could do everything. Production. God help me. Did your dad name his no, it Volkswagen? Didn't, he, didn't he, didn't name it. he didn't have a name for it. Okay. Production of the original Beetle ended in 2003, but a more modern version of that car that was larger and had more creature comforts debuted in 1997. The newer model has been produced in Puebla, Mexico since 99. For many Americans, the Beetle is a quintessential hippie car of the baby boomer generation whose success paved the way for the influx of affordable foreign models in the 70s and 80s. Uh, uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal, and uh, that, that is an inaccurate uh, description. The, the, the Volkswagen Beetle itself, I, I never associated with a hippie culture. It was the Volkswagen bus that got oh, associated okay. with the hippie culture. Did your car have a number? No, we didn't have a number. VW's decision marks the second time the car will disappear from American showrooms. U.S. sales of the Beetle stopped in 1979 and resumed with the newer iteration of the car in 1998. Uh, the revamped Beetle, which featured a dashboard flower vase and front-mounted engine, was replaced by a more muscular-looking version in 2011, but neither redesign caught on like the original among its baby boomer fans or younger generations of car buyers. I, I, I swear they got this backwards. My dad was not a baby boomer. I'm the baby boomer. But yeah, the, you're and right. I never, I never uh, 
uh, lusted after owning a Beetle. No. I'm the baby boomer. Boomer. My dad's generation were the guys who bought Volkswagens. And I agree with you. It was the it was the the Volkswagen bus thing or the minivan or whatever that thing was. was that a, was the. Oh, it, it was World War II guys who bought these things. Now you could you could you could make the argument, of course, a different generation is buying them today. But this wasn't a baby boomer phenomenon, not in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Even though the U.S. is the vehicle's biggest market today, VW sold only 15,000 Beetles last year. That's less than 5% of the 339,700 cars the company sold in the U.S. in 2017. The Beetle joins a growing number of small car and sedan models being retired in the U.S. amid a shift in consumer preference towards uh, crossovers, SUVs, and pickup trucks. U.S. sales of the Beetle peaked at 423,000 cars during the heyday of its popularity Mm. in 1968. Wow. Uh, Because of that popularity, VW became the first foreign brand to open a factory in the U.S. in 1978. That plant in New Stanton, Pennsylvania, was closed amid slumping sales in 1987. VW's U.S. factory in Tennessee now makes Passat sedans and the Atlas SUV. You remember what I did? Regarding the uh, Ford plant site? Uh, you wanted to have... I called VW. That's right. And I got as far as their real estate division. And I introduced myself. I, I said, I'm a longtime resident of St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm, I'm urging you to consider... Uh, this is before the Ford plant uh, plans had been announced. When I naively thought that maybe we had the kind of political leadership... Uh, in town that would have seen the uh, importance of bringing uh, a factory to that site Mm -hmm. and creating jobs. But uh, again, I was terribly naive. We had no political leadership to accomplish that. Uh, Who was the mayor? Chris Coleman. Coleman. Where was his brain? I I don't know. So the Ford plant gets torn down. And there's that 120 acres just sitting there. I called VW. And said, you really should consider this. Well, they thought I was a crank. They, they thought, well, who are you right. telling us where we should build right. a plant? I'm, I said, I'm not telling you where you should build it. I'm saying you should, you should consider this. If it was good enough for Henry Ford, it should be good enough for Volkswagen. I never got any traction with sure. that. Hmm. Well, there's probably a lot of paperwork and politics to go through. but Yeah, it was hardly the— uh, it, was, it was a smart idea. It really— it, Everything was in place there. It's, it seems that it would have been a good pairing for any manufacturer, VW or not VW. And now it's just going to be, you know, more housing and more coffee shops. Well, but not many cars. No, no. Leave no. your car right we outside on Ford Parkway. Yeah, that's going to be a I, – I don't think I'll be around long enough to ever uh, suffer the impacts of that. Do you remember when uh, – I think it was like 69, you were talking about 68. I think it was 69, Rook, where Herbie won the Eldorado. Remember he split in half. That was the race car went, number 53. Yep. Yeah, see? I think your dad was trying to make a uh, Herbie car. Mm-hmm. You didn't call it like Jim or have any other nickname yeah, for no, it? Don't know, he, no name for the car. No? No no name for the car. No name for the car? No. Okay. We'll just, why don't we just leave it at that? Commencing Garage Logic Segment Number Six. How about 
about that song, Patty? That's the music we can use on the podcast without being sued, I think. I think so. so. Well, grandfather grandfather owned that organ. That's right. It might have been him playing it for all I know. They cannot. Uh, they cannot uh, steal. Uh, steal that. You call me at a uh, good time because I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to nap before I write a column or going to write a column and then nap. I'm trying to decide which one of those. It's a very difficult decision. But I had grandfather duty this morning. I had to get the kids off to uh, to uh, the, the bus this morning oh, yeah. because yeah. The, the parents are tied up. So I'm, I'm a little shy. I think I'm going. I, I'm leaning towards nap. But I'm not sure. You know, I wish I could have been a little fly on the uh, on the tree next to you for the little pre-bus small talk. So what do you have for lunch today? <laughs> that would have well, been fun. here's the deal. The, uh, the, the boy who's about to turn eight now has a Madden thing on the big deal. So you, you never even have to worry about talking to him. He's up there playing Madden and then the... And then the, the daughter has really no interest either, so you kind of just sit there and read the paper. <laughs> anyway. Good, how, interested, good uh, how interested are you in the Vikings-Packers game? Very interested. I think so. Uh, when, they, when they kick off. But before that, I'm not interested at all, although uh, it certainly is uh, curious as to uh, whether Rodgers is going to play or not. I got to think that uh, that knee felt a lot worse Monday than it did even when he came back and uh, uh, returned to action on on Sunday evening. I, I got to think that knee does not feel good this week. How about when they go into the tent? I I, I knew they had a you like tent. like the tent now? Well, the tent, yeah, they, they seal off the tent. You don't know what's going on in the tent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't want anybody to know. They don't want them to know what, the, what which body part they're looking at, even though it's pretty obvious. But we got that in college football now, too, Jeff. The closed tent? The tent. Yeah. We got the tents too. Uh, I, I think uh, a lot of uh, anyway the big the big schools have the tent, so you can't uh, you can't see what's going on in the tent. It's like the guys whispered in their glove, right? When yeah. the catcher comes yeah. out there, they're whispering in the glove. <laughs> well, yeah. Suhan, I thought Stephen 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 Gonzalez, he whispers in there. Yeah, I'm going to throw an 89 mile hour fastball four inches up the plate. No big chase. I thought Suhan of your paper had a great point today, and that is if you wonder whether Rodgers is ready for game two, then he's not ready for game two. Why would they risk him? Although, do they wonder, or are they just, you know, they they just telling us a story, too? Uh, you know, they don't have to really tell us anything till today, I believe. They have to say whether it's questionable or uh, whatever it was. I don't know. Anybody on the Crack Podcast staff see that yet? I, I think they got to tell us whether he's questionable or not. I would guess he's questionable. I did not run across it personally yet. Mm-hmm. How good is the Vikings defense? Terrific. Yeah. Best they've had since that people eaters. Really? They, uh, it's better than, yeah, it's uh, it's better than that defense in the late uh, 80s, which was pretty dang good. Uh, but, uh, you know, the game's changed so much from when you go back to the, the purple people eaters. Mm-hmm. That, you know, back then, as I, I said this, I said this in my, one of my last radio shows, that they used to uh, have Paul Klaus running around you know, back there playing center field, just trying to intercept passes. Now you got Harrison Smith back there. He comes up and knocks the living bejeebers out of place. Mm-hmm. He's got more tackles in a month than Kraus had in his career. Mm-hmm. So they, they, you know, the players have changed so much. It's hard to judge what these guys are. Really well, the good. people eaters each weighed about 180 pounds too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Moose. We called him Moose. He weighed 250. Yep. 
Yeah, today it'd be tiny. We call them tiny. <laughs> well, didn't you come up with a stat that what didn't Eden Prairie have a line that might have yeah. been as big as an NFL line? Oh, in the late nineties, one of Eden Prairie's first uh, uh, prep bowl teams that won the state championship was like across the offensive line was twenty five pounds high, uh, more a man than the first Viking Super Bowl team. Isn't that something? Yeah. That's why this game's yeah. in trouble, Pat. They're too big and too fast. That's why people get hurt. Well, and they got 320-pound offensive linemen trying to get to a spot to block 250, 60-pound animals who can run like leopards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, they got these these poor big tubs trying to do too much, and they keep getting hurt and breaking stuff and pulling muscles and ruining knees and everything because they're, they're trying to do too much at that weight back yep. then. You, you know, back in the day, all you did is get five big fat guys and they just stood there with their arms out. You yeah. know, now that doesn't work anymore. Uh, according to former Ride with Royce uh, guest Rob Domofsky, who covers the Packers for ESPN NFL Nation, uh, Aaron Rodgers walked through the locker room with a black neoprene-like sleeve on his injured left knee. The official status report comes out a little later. The guess is that he'll be listed as questionable. That was 30 minutes ago. I do, I do have something to report to the podcast. But All right. I returned to the scene of your golf crime yesterday to play a round of golf for the first time off my own ball in about five years. Where? You went to Edina? Went to Edina, mm-hmm. which was in, in fine shape. Uh, it, it changed a lot of things out there. But the way you played that first day you ever played, right? you were tiger compared to me. <laughs> I <had> never <laughs> really? played I hit. I hit. Uh, I don't know how many. I mean, I think I had eight or nine did not finishes. But uh, uh, I hit it airborne eight times in 18 years. <laughs> what, what compelled your return? I, well, it was, uh, the winner set up a golf match with uh, Steve Fritz and Jim Smith. Okay. Great old uh, MIAC guys. And it was a chance to, uh, you know, spend an afternoon with those guys. And it was fun and, you know, hear all the old stories and you did a nice piece on Fritz. He was my classmate at St. Thomas. Really? Oh, yeah, we graduated the same year. You did a nice piece yeah. on him the other day. Yeah, he's uh, he's a older guy. Yeah. And uh, it is funny. You show up in 1967 and never leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, what I can't believe is he was the dean of, not the dean, the director of admissions is the same time he's the basketball coach. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's back in the day when the coaches all had the, the coaches still have another job, but back then they actually had a serious job. Patrick, when someone asks you what spurred your decision to play golf, you should just respond with availability. Well, I am available, but uh, I, I I tweeted out I got twenty eight to thirty extra hours a week now, and I can tell you right now, very very small amount of that is going to be spent on the golf course. I'm going to have to find something else to do because I'm not going to put myself through that. Pat, when I was um, kind of cleaning out some old stuff and moving uh, down the hallway here, I ran across uh, the wild uh, scorecard from our infamous day when I think I lost maybe a dozen balls on the first two. We must have put a few X's on there for the two of us, didn't we? You, I didn't look at it closely. It's back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find it again. Maybe have it for next week. But you made some notations. But I, you were well 
below 100. I uh, I think I was at about a buck 15 at least. And that was generous. If I was well below 100, I wasn't counting them all. Well, you were probably um, very busy trying to track down my ball and look for it. <laughs> are you in a are you in a slumped position right now? Not really. I'm sort of sitting up. Why do I sound slumped? It's, uh, it's reminding me of some of the old days when uh, oftentimes you... When were, I was in bed, yeah, and yeah. I'd fall asleep yeah. in the middle of the uh, <laughs> Propped up by a pillow in a hotel room. I'll be with you in a minute. (laughs) Okay, one more question for you, sports uh, guru. Uh, Flex should uh, the Flex should handle the Miamis of Ohio, shouldn't they? Miami of Ohio's not. uh, They're they're a mediocre team in the uh, Mid American uh, Conference. So yes, that will not be an issue. Uh, uh, Coach Flex will win, but I'm trying to get Coach Flex to. Participate in my Williams Astadio Day yep. at the Dome, September 29th. Here's what we do: we get five, we get five celebrities, and we put them at first base, and then we start running the video of Williams Astadio <laughs> running around the bases. When they get around second, we start running the video, and then every the, everybody can cheer as to whether they want Williams to get home first. <laughs> Or the uh, P.J. Flack or something right. like that. It'll be a great promotion. Well, uh, as always, lovely to talk to you. We hope to make it weekly. All right. Well, I'll, uh, you know. We know where to find I you. I don't know why not. All right. All right sir. Thank you. Commencing Garage Logic Segment Number 8. Oh, yeah. The Friday Scramble. This is the way we have to play this out. A little different today. It'll be a silent scramble. In honor of our dear departed Steve Tomey, who uh, would occasionally on Fridays call his own press conference, (laughs) poorly attended, (laughs) yes, (laughs) to announce that he was available to commence the scramble. We always knew that he was ready to go. We lost him last night, longtime GLer, and uh, uh, isn't that just like Tommy though to miss his own silent scramble? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I guess in his honor, let's give him one of these. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. You know what was great about him? That's well, really sad. Well, he would, you know, obviously he was always in contact with the show, but he was the kind of listener too where he would call in. He never wanted to go on. We see. He went on. He went on rarely, didn't he? Yeah, he really Very did. Rarely. But he would always call the line and say, "Reeves, tell the boys, blah 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 blah." Mm-hmm. And he didn't want any um, like accolades, like, mm-hmm. "Hey, you know, uh, did you hear me on the air?" Or, you know, some people try to, you know, some people get a little too involved. He uh, he was not like that. Well, plus uh, uh, Kevin told me uh, he was one of the GLers who would. Uh, uh, th- I'm always humbled to hear this. Uh, where GL got him through some tough spots in life. Mm. You know? well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I heard really some of those you. stories at the fair. They're terribly humbling. It's just it's just one. I, I don't when know. You're how doing I a daily this. radio show. You have no idea how it's impacting people's lives. That's you don't true. you don't think about it that yeah. way. You know. No, but we've been we've been told at other times where it was, or even like uh, you know David in Poland or uh, Kazakhstan, the guy that's listening in Kazakhstan. It's a uh, it's the perfect. Uh, it's the perfect way to uh, stay home, be at home, listening right. to this via podcast across the world. 
Well, how about the fact that I'm getting emails from Poland, Bulgaria, and Dubai? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's. Uh, can you open a can for Tommy? Even oh, though he would have had EJ and. Uh, uh, oh, oh, he liked that EJ brandy. Yeah. Uh, to Tommy, we tip our glass and say. There you go. Thanks, Tommy. Uh, and thanks, GLers. This has been our first week of podcasting. And all I can tell you is it's uh, it's just going to continue to get better and better and better uh, well, as we as we refine it. And full disclosure, it is it was more convenient for people to listen to the radio. Um, Apparently not. See, that's what we got to get through our heads. Ninety five percent of the people I talked to at the fair were podcast listeners. Well, and that's what I'm finding surprising too. Just in dealing with uh, not dealing, but but in being in communication with the people via email. They're just saying, well, this is how I've been listening to GL for right. the last five years. Right. And my wife has already, my wife has always, she was always a listener. Right. And she has already adjusted. And it's funny because she has her phone with her and she'll listen just doing stuff and she enjoys it. It's, it's really, it's really been a, it's been an eye opener for me because I was not a pod, I was here. So yeah. I'm not a podcast yeah. listener. Yeah. My All son, right, unbelievably big podcast listener. Uh, we'll see you Monday. Yes, garagelogic.com. Subscribe on iTunes. Uh, don't forget to rate us. Uh, and we want to we want to be uh, heard here, and we want to continue to be heard here. And we'll work on that music stuff. If you know a band, make sure they email us, mm -hmm. gljoe at garagelogic.com. But you got to give us your permission, too. Right. It's got to be in writing. we got to have that. Rookie at garagelogic.com. I'm in a world of new rules. And C. Reavers at garagelogic.com. Right. And follow us on Twitter. Uh, at at glpodcast. At glpodcast on Twitter. Sounds good? All right. Let's close her out, then.